and I have this in all caps, call it during the race for fuck's sake. Welcome to Air Fuel Spark. On today's episode, we talk about the FIA, or more like FI lame, the pitfalls of calling penalties in the race incorrectly, or not at all until after. Let's get it started. Hello. We're back. We're back again. We survived episode one without fighting. We did. We, we might did. fight this time. Oh. <laughs> I probably hopefully we'll not. Get right I'm not hoping it. for it, but it could happen. I don't He's know. Putting the gloves on. Yeah, it's uh, they're plastic gloves though, so I don't know how they're going to do. It, but we'll see. Hey, you know if they can, they can make a dent. That's make a true. Dent. They will. Watch they out. Will. All right, let's talk <laughs> FIA. Oh. oh my God. Let's everyone, get right into it. Everyone loves the FIA, don't they? More like FI lame. Whoa. Oh, Episode God. title. You worked oh, it in in the first minute. No. God. I didn't. I love it. Oh, well, it, 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 it is the name, so it's we'll fine. go with it. All right. Let's 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 start out. I'm going to just throw out a very overarching question here, and let's, uh-huh. let's dive into uh-huh. it a little. Uh-huh. Is the FIA too strict? No. No? no. Yes. No. They are. Absolutely not. They are. So I want to, I want to talk about something for a second. So we watched... Um, we watched NASCAR at Coda. We did a lot a we few did. weeks ago. Uh huh. And that was a blast. It was great. Now look, Fabulous. okay, yes, we can talk about we we can and we will talk about the many differences between a NASCAR and an open wheel car. Yeah, fine, Danny. But <laughs> there were no track limits. Oh no, absolutely well, none. Well, there were. There, there were the, the walls. Wall. The walls. The wall. Limit. That's yeah. it. If yeah, you yeah, hit yeah. the wall, then you're out, and that's yeah. just your own damn fault. There's no right. penalty to go with it. Uh huh. There's no track limit enforcements nope. there. Nope. Oh, and so granted, those cars don't have anywhere near the same level as grip as a, as a Formula One car. And, and they so, can take no. a bump. And they can take a bump. But those guys were just, there wasn't even like, oh, I'm two wheels over the curb. There is, I am six car lengths off of the yeah. curb into the runoff area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Across the gravel. It was egregious. It was egregious. But. It was cool to see. It got me thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about, uh, think back to Jetta and uh, Logan Sargent. Yeah, was essentially did not have a qualifying time because no. his, his time was erased for rack limits. He went over the line just by a tiny bit. But he did. He did. Yeah. You're right. He did. Yeah. But what is that doing to the sport? In it's many ways, making sure something like that. You're right. It, the drivers have a level playing field. That's fair. But as we but, saw in NASCAR, that was a more than and. Look, you know I'm I'm not the biggest NASCAR fan, but I'm going to talk about this for a minute. Okay, you're right. Oh. There, there was a level field even with these guys running off a little because you know what? A, everyone was doing it, but you had God knows how many lead changes. These guys are pushing the limits, and yeah. sometimes, mm-hmm. especially in the F1, they are so locked in that okay, a quarter inch over the line mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did it really, really, really yes affect the time. Yep. It can. It can. And so maybe it's more so during qualifying that, that track limits is a is a thing. But when eh. it comes to the racing, when you're racing that hard and for the sake of the spectacle, I mean, a five-second penalty for going quarter of an inch over the line, you know, mm. what is that What is that doing to our psyche? What is it? And it's for the, for the fact that they choose certain things for the spectacle of it. Right. But it's, it's not five seconds on the first offense. You're right. It's five so they, seconds if they get the same, if they have the same infraction, I think three times, they right, get a black and white flag. flag. Right. And then they get, because at that point, it's like, hey, you're doing something that can give you an advantage over several laps. So, it's is it an overreach for five seconds? Maybe. Maybe we can discuss, like, the amount of time for the penalty. Or could it be taken on more of a case-by-case case basis? So, let's say, for mm, instance... That's dangerous. It is. It is. But... 
you go look at, let's say, you know, you got two drivers battling and one happens uh-huh. to go a quarter inch while chasing, but no position is exchanged. Actually changed. Yeah. So there is no advantage gained, mm-hmm. let's say. No. Now, how do you judge it on that on that basis? Or let's say you do go over and a position mm-hmm. is gained. Can you do, you know, you hand that position back kind of thing? And well, you, in that you, case, you yes. Right. Uh, yeah, but like if it's a case of no, of uh, you know, if they, say, if they stay in the same position, I think that it's the same as if one driver does the same thing over and over again. If that one driver does it, you know, more than once, then absolutely. At that point, I would mm-hmm. say this person gets a three-second penalty, for example, or they can choose to give the position up. There's, there's many approaches here, but my issue and what makes this still relevant is that the FIA is not consistent yes. with how strict they are. Yes, that. Hundred percent. They're just flying like they're just they're flying blindly. I feel like sometimes because as we saw in Australia last week, it was a new situation to them, and it obviously was because they even said the stewards are under investigation. So like they're checking themselves out for the procedure that they did. So it's like slapping each other's hands. Yeah, I just feel like as many rules as they have, they and oh, granted, racing racing is can, can be at times hard to predict. So there may be things that are new from time to time, but. They're just, again, they're not consistent. So one being Max and Lewis, last race of, of 21, mm-hmm. where the race director chose to only let through the lapped cars in between Max and Lewis. Right. At the time, I was happy because I like Lewis, but I'm more of a fan of different results in competition. So it was right. cool to see Max win a championship. Not really the point of, the, of this current talk, but that's one example of that happening. Another one is the meatball flag, which for those who don't know, it's a black flag with the orange ball on it, which means like you must pit because you have damage. Mm-hmm. That happened to Magnuson. It's just like, rename Magnuson's flag. Const- yeah, exactly. Just have a face of him right. on the flag. And we see teams have the same a stamp, the same or similar problem, and they just don't get it. So it's like, what's the deal here, guys? Like, what are, like, what are we doing? Right. So you have an end plate fly off on someone's car, and that's, that's an issue. That's damage. Mm-hmm. Yep. And people can just keep... Keep rolling along with a flappy end plate. And, and the team says, we don't see any big issue with the arrow, so keep right. going. Right. So, But the FIA saw that and chose to make that choice for Haas several times. And you know, so inconsistency is one, uh-huh. and the time it takes them to make decisions is another. Oh, we can probably agree on this. Yeah, I mean, for the fact that Russell was handed a third place in Jeddah, and then that third place was in the hand and subsequently back to Alonso after yeah. they appealed and successfully won against that penalty. It, it we And we've seen that many times, actually, yep. throughout the last few years, where mm-hmm. they'll make a decision post-race, and then they'll appeal it, and it'll go back and forth. And before long, I mean, as a driver, too, like, if you finish in third, and you're going to eventually be awarded that third, but let's say you come out on your, on your in-lap, and you're told, oh, you know, it's not... It's not yours. There's a penalty that's been applied, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. that's later taken back. You just missed a you missed the opportunity to get on the podium, yep. and that's a that's a big thing. You know, you're you're denying a driver that opportunity to celebrate. Yeah, and I have that in my notes written down as adhere to the rules, but consider the time between the infraction and the discovery yes. of it. Right. And I have this in all caps. Call it during the race for fuck's sake. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, this can't be this hard. You have, what, five rotating, mar- uh, not marshals, but five uh, stewards each race. Right. And like uh, these five guys are, are often guys who have raced their whole careers. Yes. Shouldn't be that hard to come to a consensus during a race for something pretty minor. But then you have the, the rule book, I suppose, 
But that doesn't mean that you can't call something like a minor infraction on lap 20 and you just don't call it until after the race. Uh, although I think in Ocon's case, or was it Alonso or Stroll, one of the teams where like they actually didn't even notice it right? until someone else, I think it was Mercedes, brought it up to them saying, hey, this happened. It was, it was Aston Martin because Aston Martin, thankfully, they must have a crack team of lawyers because they came up and said, hey, here's seven times in the past where the car was touched during a stop-and-go penalty mm-hmm. and it didn't matter. Right. Hence the overturn. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, if they miss it, that should be like, all right, we missed it. So, sorry. Uh, but that's a whole can of worms. Like, well, what if you miss something egregious? You know, so uh, like, what's the sliding scale there? Right. I don't know. But, I mean, it's uh, point being, well, actually, along with that point, I would like to see an option for, like, someone to write down a summary of what the stewards actually ended up saying, like, this penalty X is because Y happened. Mm-hmm. And I want to see that on screen. Right. I want to see what their rationale is, um, or if the, at the very least have, like, an ongoing look at how they're conversing about it, because they're just this this group in the ivory tower, so to speak, and we don't really get even a look at what they're doing. Give us a little more insight into their process. And see, what's interesting So to that point, what I think would be kind of cool, too, is to see what, like, what are the stewards prone to? And what I mean by that is, like so bias. in baseball, mm-hmm. in baseball, they talk about, you know, various, um, you know, crew chiefs and, and, you know, this umpire has a tendency to have a very loose strike zone. Uh-huh. So, like, you yep. see their tendencies yep. Yep. from a from a marshalling perspective, like, I wonder what that looks like for mm. for the FIA and for the stewards. You know, like, is yeah. it you know so and so is a little bit more lax with track limits versus so and so. So it's like, how is that interaction gonna affect the race? You know, and yeah. it leads to the idea, you know, to see who who is interfering too much. You know, and that yeah. idea of too much interference too is something that I think we see every now and then. Uh, you know, the idea of just let them race and stuff, which is something you see. I think in other sports, much more so, but mm-hmm. for the fact that they're so focused on the spectacle, there's, right. there's inconsistency, once again, sure. being applied with interference. And let them race is a slippery slope. It you is. Know, that could become, oh, they're actually going like full NASCAR in Formula One off the track to race. And then that, of course, I'm not sure that would happen, but you know, never say never. Um, but there's a point to where let them race can become dangerous. Right. I do agree with that. I agree with that point. I mm-hmm. where I'm coming from is a little bit more of the I think sometimes we see that white bar flash up top, you know, so and so under investigation. Yeah. And then I think more times than not, it comes out as no further investigation. Yeah. Needed. Yep. So you gotta wonder It's a racing incident it's, more often than not. It's a racing incident. Incident, yes. Incident. Thanks, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you gotta think about that too, is how does that affect the public perception? Of the sports. And I think it's something that has come up more often over the last few years. Certainly mm-hmm. came up around 2021's ending. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of debate mm-hmm. about the FIA and the mafia. There'll be know. debate today, or rather oh, last week, excuse me, uh, in, in, in the race in Melbourne. Um, you know, I, again, I think it harkens back to not having a transparency of the stewards doing their job. Mm-hmm. And I think it would again we would benefit from having a look at like what their thought process is, right? Um, or 
for example, they could publish a standardized list of questions for a given situation. Like, did this driver do this? Right. Did the driver do that? Do that in response? I don't know. I'm just sort of spitballing here. I'm not really a racing, you know, racing career guy. Uh, but <clears throat> I think, oops, smack my water. We're getting angry over here. He's getting heated. He feels. <laughs> he feels the fire. <laughs> Um, but just to go back to NASCAR, um, I think that the difference is that the, the NASCARs are very different. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, put two wheels into each other, and it's not going to send the car flying. Right, airborne. I mean, they're tanks, obviously. Then they, yes, they are, and they're tanks, and they be. And I mean, they drive comparatively like tanks. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to have a lot more, you know, room to move around. Um, but uh, in my opinion, you know, F1, because the cars are designed to be so precise in every aspect, they should be precise on the track. Right. Uh, and the white line is the white line. Um, I have some notes here, uh, which I'm not even sure that I agree with, I wrote down. Track limits are track limits 100%, no question. But have leniency in some corners, which they do. I think because some racetracks naturally just don't, it's hard to have the mechanical or aero grip to consistently make a certain corner, you know, every time. And if that's the case, what then becomes the limit of that corner? Is it the edge of the curb on the outside? Is it the edge of a sand trap? What do you think? Well, it's funny you bring in leniency. Interesting. Yeah, to me, the concept of leniency and consistency mm-hmm. are also intertwined on the subject as well. Yeah. Because if yeah. you're going to have a leniency with one car, you got to have a leniency with every car, which mm-hmm. is something that, once again, I don't think we always see that consistency. No, and don't. you hear drivers or te- you know teams on the radio checking into that constantly. You hear, yeah. you know, it was a so and so was you know running wide at that corner. Can you check that mm-hmm. stuff? You know, you, I feel yeah. like you hear Max every weekend complaining about he pu- someone, he even though he's off. like twelve seconds ahead, but. <laughs> that that consistency and the leniency, I think, are are intertwined. Because I do agree that there, the leniency, to me, kind of goes back to to that idea of case by case basis mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, is you look at it, you have to look at it and say, did that actually result in a in an advantage? Mm-hmm. You know, did yeah, did that infraction truly give that driver? An advantage, and that's where I think maybe it plays back into what you're talking about with leniency. Is mm-hmm. you know if they can determine, okay, it was really a no harm, no foul situation. You know, but you know, once again, can they can they enforce that consistently across all cars? I think they can because it's something that we don't see on screen these days as much as like one or two years ago. But they had mini sectors on the track mm-hmm. where like they, you could see like uh, it was divided like maybe like one sixty fourth of the track, right? You could see like green, purple, yellow. Yep. That to me is pretty clear, especially if it's near a corner where you can often go off the track a bit. Uh, and I, I have no doubts that the, the infrastructure of Formula One could like support that. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's, all, it's, it's, all, it's all in the telemetry. So having that, for example, could be a good metric yes. to gauge these little one-off incidents. And that's an excellent point. Technology. Yes, they have the tech. We have the, we technology. Have the technology. They have not, the technology. But we're not freaking using it, and that's what gets me so much about these delays, these post-race oh. penalty back and forth delays. God. Is you guys and they show sometimes they show a quick shot of the stewards' room, and they got like fifty TVs in there. They got yeah. every corner, every six angles of every corner under monitoring. All the can, info they need. If we at home on our couches, sitting on our asses, can go back and rewind and zoom in and. Or just have a second screen with like all the driver feeds on it. 
hey, if we can I hit can the red button. 30 seconds. All we got to talk about is Sky hitting the, the red, red button. button. Sky, keep class customers. Yeah, exactly. Hey, if we have the red button, then the marshals should have like six red buttons to look at every single thing Stewards. from every view. Yes, good point. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it too. Yes. Stewards, marshals, yeah, it's all part of the same machine. It um, is, but they, they have... They have the ability to go back and look at things in real time. Yeah, there's no need for something to be like for 40 minutes after the race, and then it comes out that that's there should be a cutoff time. Oh, absolutely. If if you can't figure it, if the stewards can't figure it out by X amount of time, it should stand. Which is kind of a hot take because some people may find that particular move egregious or you know kind of too OP for something, and so right. I've, we're not really positing solutions here. We're just kind of highlighting things that have, that should probably change. Right. We're also not a part of the FIA. So no, we're not. Here truly matters. Although but, I will be cliche and say that if I were, it might be a bit better. Who knows? I don't know. Probably not. But I mean, all I know is Michael Massey is probably sitting on a beach somewhere, just enjoying. He's his having life. a blast. He was there this weekend. Yes. He was talking with like uh, Fernando and a couple of the drivers, and he was having a good time. I was like, well, good for him because it's not his not his deal anymore. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. He, if it were, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Ugh, what a race that was. Uh, I guess we could probably fold that into all this at some point. But um, you, were, you wrote a great question for me that I want to talk about, which isn't necessarily about the FIA so much, but it is a good question. Is F1 missing its heroes and villains? I say absolutely not. And I say absolutely. I say absolutely not. Let me tell you why. Okay, go first. Because we view folks like Senna, Prost, and Schumacher, Hockenden, you know, we're very nostalgic. We, we, we go back and we think about that because it was the former time when we were growing up. And there's been so many romantic, not romantic, but there's been so many films that are made that dramatize that sort of thing, or even like documentaries that dramatize it. And uh, because that's what everyone does with the past. They sort of go back and they and they think of it in a positive light or a dramatic mm-hmm. light, um, but many of my new f- my new F1 friends who who joined the sport through you know watching DTS, uh, they have developed intense dislikes for Hamilton or Verstappen and even in some cases Alonso, just by seeing them the last couple of years, and so they're seeing the things that we saw way back in the day between right. Schumacher, Hockenden, and Senna and Prost, and so I think. And I think also it has more heroes and villains than ever, thanks to the editing of DTS and that show, because of the way they're shown in that show. Is it genuine? Not really. But it makes the drama real for some people. And so I argue that nowadays they have some word never, and they will become legendary as everyone else in the past did in 5, 10, 15 years. I get, yes. I get where you're going with it. <laughs> but? <laughs> but here's my thing about it uh-huh. is, and so... We'll talk about this, and I'm going to put this through the lens of, of 2023 versus, you know, 1976. Uh-huh. You know, you think back to, to guys like James Hunt. Sure. And, hunt you know, the Shunt. Hunt the Shunt. I mean, forget forget the movie Rush for a second. And the like worst nickname, but I won't say <laughs> Right. <laughs> but when you really dive into it, I mean, you had these larger-than-life personalities. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I don't see that these days mm. it i think it's it's very different and part of it is i think these kids like let's call them kids for a second these guys are most like, of them are 20 21 22 yeah. 23 24 years old mm-hmm. and there is such a lens of scrutiny on them yep. constantly mm-hmm. you know from a pr perspective the yep. pr machine is strong these days mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot more money that's in this sport i think then yeah so granted, F1 has always been a big money sport, but I think 
it has grown exponentially from a dollars and cents perspective these mm-hmm. days between sponsorship deals and just the driver contracts. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's such such a lens of scrutiny on them that they are probably constantly they're trained on lock. They're very trained. They're very yeah. trained to be mm-hmm. very canned. And granted, mm-hmm. look, there's plenty of great moments that are captured in Sure Drive Survive, and and you know, even on on Instagram, if you watch some of their personal. But even if it's interesting, if you go on. Instagram, and you look up all 20 drivers on the grid, mm-hmm. yep. and you go through each of their profiles, mm-hmm. there are differences between each. You know, some are looser, mm-hmm. but you can yep. tell whose posts are very politically correct mm-hmm. and very, very carefully worded. Very carefully by worded. By someone else, perhaps. By someone else who's, yeah. the, who's not the driver behind the screen. Yeah. And, you know, you, I, I just think back to the rivalry between Hunt and Lauda. Lauda. And there was such fire and passion there, mm-hmm. you know, on and off the track. The fire and the passion. Yeah, on and off the track, you know, that I just, I don't see the same today. Mm. And, you know, it comes through, but it's very different. It all feels very, at the end of the day, you know, you think about uh, Jetta and, you know, the, the mini controversy of, you know, mm-hmm. Max saying, well, what's, you know, what's fastest lap? And Horner comes back and says, well, we're not worried about that right now. What does Max do? He goes and does it anyway. Yeah, but I am. And then... That's my awful Max Verstappen yeah. impression. <laughs> but then you, I mean, you think about it, and then what do you see three days later in the news? You see Perez saying, you know, oh, yeah, we squ- we squashed the beef. You know, there's there's no no issues. We're a united team. Yeah. We're working towards one goal. Bullshit. Yeah, no. Nah, I call bullshit abso- on that. Total bullshit. They're not... Bullshit. That was a point. You know, they they have a friendly candor, and I'm sure they are friendly to to a degree. But like at the end of the day, they are competitors. And when that, oh, not, yeah. not to use this way overused cliche phrase, but when the helmet goes on, it's different. And I find oh, yeah. myself coming around to your viewpoint a bit on this on this because you also see all of these drivers' social media accounts, and you see them when they cool off. From heat and say, yeah, I got kind of hot in the head. I apologize to so and so. I'm gonna go next race. That didn't happen in the 70s or the 80s or 90s or 2000s. Oh, you carry we, a grudge the whole season. We didn't have that. And even if that grudge didn't really exist, kind of like how it is now, you only really saw them on the weekends when they're racing. You don't you don't see them off off track enjoying a nice vacation and saying, right. hey, I just took a week to get my mind reset. You never saw that. So on that on that point, I do kind of concede to you. Uh, because um, yeah, we just don't have this. We have so much coverage now of the sport and the and the, 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 the drivers. They post updates on their account, like you know, every day, mm-hmm. saying, "Yeah, I cooled off. It's fine." Yeah, and you didn't have that twenty years ago. No, you didn't. And I mean, this is maybe this is going down a little bit of a tangent here, but go for it. Another thing, when you look at so many years ago, is you had so many different winners. Yep, and you have a different champion. Sure. Every year, which, sure. you know, once again, this is getting into the the realm of development and, and teams and money there, which I don't, I don't really want to go down that path. But on any given weekend, someone could push through to the front, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and had that fire to do so. Yep. Whereas these days, sometimes you see the racing and they talk about, oh, you know, so-and-so let him by. He knows his fight's not with him. No, mm-hmm. you're a competitor, man. Yeah. Fight, fight whoever's trying to pass you. Keep him behind. Yeah. And what's, you know, fu- and what's funny about today, or, sorry, this week, in, in, um, or last week rather, in uh, Melbourne, uh, David Coulthard was doing, was doing the commentary for F1 TV, and I could tell he was trying to push that narrative a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, now it's personal. He was do- doing all that. It's like, it's, it's not. 
But I mean, thanks for trying, DC. Like, I, right. I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from because, um, yeah, I am coming around more to your viewpoint because it does tend to make sense. But also, you have to remember that cars, it was more high stakes back then. Yes. So, uh, you know, people, you know, unfortunately, and this is true, people would die, yes. you know, multiple times a year doing this sport. And, you know, you think, once again, back to like uh, Lauda, who almost died. Mm-hmm. Was that 76? I think so. Um, uh, well, now I have to know. You know, at that point, it becomes a lot more real because, you know, the, the main competitor, you know, well, again, almost died. Luckily, you know, uh, in that in that case, uh, they were actually, outside of racing, they were pretty good friends. Yes. Um, which is good because that was obviously, you know. There was mutual respect there. There is. Uh, there was. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely glad that, um, you know, the, the film uh, Rush went out of its way to say, look, later on in life, you know, they became friends, which is great. Um but yeah, so that's kind of. Uh, but that's all of that said. I think that we still have enough tension between the drivers. I, I, it's almost like we have more between the, the uh, team principals now. Yeah, change your fucking car. I'm sorry, I, I know it's been overused to death at this point, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I laugh. I laugh. You change your car. I laugh. It's funny. I try to get my wife to watch at least that episode of Drive to Survive. I was uh-huh. like, "Listen, it's like the real, it's like the real team principles of Monaco." I mean, it, to me, the drama <laughs> is. is on the level of, of you know all the Real Housewives shows that she loves so dearly. Um, she watched a few clips of it, and she was she was. I showed her that clip uh-huh. of change your fucking. Car. And she's yeah. she's like, well, "Why is he yelling at him? On why they? She's like, "Why are they fighting so much?" I was like, "I'm telling you, this this is what they do." <laughs> but here's the other thing that, okay. that's interesting about that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And every time I watch an episode of Drive to Survive, I wonder how much of that, once again, is part of the spectacle of this sport since Drive to Survive has started. Uh-huh. You know, everything is captured on camera now. Yep. You know, how much are these guys now part actors and part team principals as well? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they all have they all have like act not acting coaching, but they all have media coaching. They all have media so coaching, th- right. they know what gets the juice, so to speak. Um, so they, I think certainly they know that's good, it's good for them to have. Right. Um, but so. to, to bring it back around uh-huh, here, uh-huh, uh-huh. so when I say is F1 missing its heroes and villains, let me, let me reframe it like this. Okay. Is F1 missing authentic heroes and villains? Authentic heroes and villains. How much of the I villainy think- and heroism mm-hmm. we see on track every weekend, how much of this really is quote-unquote manufactured on track uh, some of the the things that no not so on track but some of the stuff we see to your point about team principles some oh. of those sound bits that we hear and we see and, uh-huh. and some of the radio stuff well i mean i think well there will always be that element especially because not just dts but even these days you know the headlines that get the clicks are the juicy ones right so there's always a going to be a degree of that um <clears throat> But um, so, but how much of it? Uh, I think it's certainly magnified by the uh, by various journalists for sure. Well, there's also the a- people have access to that now. I mean, we watch F1 yeah. and we we mm-hmm. hear team radios and stuff. That was right. not the case back in seventies, mm-hmm. eighties, no. or even really the the nineties. You know, I remember. I, I don't remember that. Right. Watching the late the late nineties era and stuff, you wouldn't necessarily have the. That wouldn't be part of the broadcast. You wouldn't no. have access to that for whatever reason. They did have it, yeah, but it wasn't on the broadcast. Yeah. It wasn't on the broadcast. Right. You said driver to, to team communications, but you know, the way in which things were said 
uh, you know, some of the some of the sound bites here and there. How much is that is because we know we're on air these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think you're right. I think that maybe they're. I, again, I, I can't really say how much because it's, there's certainly some of it. But I think that a lot of times it, it does tend to blow down, and it's it's in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like for example, um, I can't recall who this was. I'm trying to find it now on online. There was that's right. So it was Toto Wolf who invited um, all of the, all of the t- of the team principals over for dinner, and he says, oh, "I will never do it again" because there was so much arguing happening. Like it was oh, like sure. really intense. And I'm like, that's what I want to see on DT. Or what folks want to see on on DTS. They want to actually have them all go to a dinner and have them all mic'd up with you know twenty cameras around, right? Because that's that would get just touching. Oh, tons, tons. But you know, of course, as it all goes, it becomes banter. You know, I think ultimately in the day, they're also doing a they're all doing a very high stakes and dangerous thing. It's motorsports, mm-hmm. um, so I think in most cases, and this is true for like all of motorsports. Really, I'm going to kind of go back on my own point here, but like I think that. Most drivers say, hey, it was racing, and they tend to get along outside the track. Racing incident. 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 Well, it's a funny thing, too, is I, I love seeing those old videos of, of all these guys growing up karting together. Speaking, speaking of the racing incident, <laughs> uh, Genesis. Um, but what's great is, I mean, I think of some of those clips that we've seen, and that's a perfect example of mm-hmm. Charles back in the day, yep. the racing incident. Yep. Um, even at that age, he was, I don't know, how old in that Maybe video. 13, maybe? Maybe. maybe he, had, he, had maybe a, he had like a yeah, Bieber haircut going. Right. <laughs> but still, kids getting an interview. And I yeah. guarantee you, even back then at 13, he had... Impeccable. Some fo- right. Well, also well, not, some not form, impeccable, but... But also some form of media training. Well, right, yeah. So like, These kids yeah. are like groomed from age yeah. you know, three and four. Yeah, and they're they're getting as much training with that as like school outside of racing. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're I mean because they're all sponsored. Well, they're all right. I'm not sure if he was, but uh, yeah. Oh, uh, back then, uh, karting teams, even the karting teams back in I mean, so back in those days from Monaco, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, right, but I mean, even back then, like even at that level, there's oh well, yeah. I'm not just him. Like everyone, yeah. if they have personal sponsors, they have to maintain a certain image. Yeah, right, absolutely. But it's like you know, you get you you're kind of fed into the system at that. Yeah. at that age and it just continues to grow as you get older yeah you know i just i i don't i think also what doesn't help is that you look at the results of the past 10 12 years red bull red bull red bull red bull mercedes mercedes so that there hasn't been that much differentiation and more to the point there hasn't been that many cases of two cars or two different teams rather being able to fight for a championship we had mercedes and ferrari a bit before Ferrari became Ferrari and did what they always do, right? Um, and then we had um, we had Red Bull and only Sebastian Vettel. I'm right. sorry, and Red Bull and only Alonso dragging that Ferrari in 2012 to right. where it shouldn't be. Um, and then we had 21, which I, you know is probably the closest that we'll get to having this like big marquee rivalry year, right? Because um, since then Red Bull has essentially run. I mean, the gone. beginning of last year, you know, Ferrari were. Back in the mix for a minute, and right. it's funny. I, I made the comment to uh, to Alex last to, to a buddy of mine last week as we were watching mm-hmm. um, Australia. I said, you know, first first three races are almost a, a reverse course for uh, for Leclerc. It's like last year he won two out of the yeah. first three, and yep. this year he's DNF'd in two out of the first three. So he's gonna win the championship. Okay, so he's gonna win everything this year. The Bahrain curse. The Bahrain curse. You never know. 
I don't know, man. You Stranger know. things. But you're you're right in the sense that there's there's almost that predictability of it. And once again, mm-hmm. this is going down a whole different road of uh-huh. of money and development, yep. and you know why the top teams are in the top and why they remain in the top for for many years. It also is why you know we haven't really seen quote unquote new teams enter Formula One. Um, mm-hmm. And we know obviously 2026 is next big uh, regulations overhaul. Yep. For engines, we know Audi is is coming in, has has bought Sauber, aka Alfa Romeo. We know Alfa is out as a sponsor at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you'll start to see that. We also know Andretti and Cadillac have teamed up yep. and have announced their intention to get on the grid, which I think yeah, they're awesome. Like they're partnered, but they don't have a concrete plan to purchase a team or make a team at this point, right? Unless they they go from scratch and you know you right. run it under the the Andretti Autosport banner. Yeah, which would be great. Which would be great with awesome. with Cadillac power. We know, obviously, you know Cadillac is is currently mm-hmm. looking actually pretty solid in endurance. Yeah, um, yeah, they're you great. know with their their V race and they've been involved. I know they were involved in DPI for a number of years oh, as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great to see them. They had the uh, Minolta livery. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that was Wayne Taylor racing. Or not. Yeah. Was, it was, was, that, was that Wayne Taylor? I think so. Yeah. I think it was Wayne Taylor. And then uh, we prepared to do a podcast. Was that this team? Yeah, it was. For sure. Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, I'm just going off the cuff here. I mean, that's right. And then yeah. uh, the pink one was uh, was Myers Shank, and they're running Acura. 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 But I mean, yeah, there's there's excitement on the horizon. But I mean, you think about what's preventing you know all these manufacturers from going in on it is is the dollars and cents of it and you're right mm-hmm. you can even start out and throw god knows how much money and you're going to be in the back yeah you're not going to score any points yeah you know so it's like to really get involved and work your way to the front it's not only like okay here's a cash infusion and mm-hmm. you know in 2 years we'll be at the front like no you're talking probably a 5 6 7 year span to easily you maybe to, even get to the midfield you have to entice quality people you have to sell them on your plan for longevity you have to sh- demonstrate that even when you're a small little team out of some small hangar in Oxfordshire England yes you have to really you know prove that which can be hard to do or you go the host route where you partner somewhat with a larger team which can demonstrate growth Right. Yeah. Or there's the Haas master plan from 2021, which the was master plan. Get a uh, get what's his face? Can't remember. What's get his Maze, face? Get Mazepan. Oh yes. Right. Get it. Get him. Get that. Get uh, the money. The Russian oligarch money. Kick him out. Have a war, and then thank you, and, and then as, have a fast car. As far as I know, they still have his money, which is great. Fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, now they got MoneyGrams. That's true. They got that MoneyGram money. Yeah, but they they made a little springboard off the they Russian did. guy. And, they did. Uh, Man, that's a whole episode of the cold chain. That's a whole episode right Absolutely. there. The story of Haas. Absolutely. Oh, man. Dude, I, you know, I could spend all day on Formula One. But uh, we all can. I want to, uh, once again, do a little bit of gear shift and yes. uh, open up a segment that we're going to start doing weekly. Uh, we're going we're gonna to call this one Auction Madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. The classic car market over the last, you know, let's say 5, 10, 20 years. Not 20, 5, 10. Yeah. 5, 10, 15 years. About five, yeah. Has. Has exploded, uh-huh. and especially over the last few years, uh, you know, the website Bring a Trailer has really propelled, I think, that market. And so, I want to dive into to a few cars that popped up on Bring a Trailer. Go for it this week mm-hmm. that caught my eye. And Got so, it. the first one, uh, it's is a forty five thousand mile two thousand and twelve Chevy Colorado truck. Okay, five speed. Okay, all right. And it sold for thirteen five. Okay, we're talking about you know a, an eleven year old truck. Uh-huh. I just think what's what's interesting is this is 
this is both the beauty and the the terror of <laughs> bring a trailer is yep. you on any given day you can have you know uh you can have a brand new or not brand new a few years old a gt a ford gt mm-hmm. you can have a 458 you can have an f40 yep and then you can have a Chevy Colorado yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. It's all part the of the... variety that's on there. And the variety is taking advantage of the bring a trailer effect. Yes. So, for instance, if you probably, you know, tried to buy this car anywhere else, what's going to 2012, it's a very basic pickup and a five-speed. You have a very yeah. small market as a five-speed for starters mm-hmm. as a manual. Right. Someone paid thirteen five for this. And yeah. it's interesting because once it gets out on a website, like this, there's 21 bids on this. 21. They're 21 bids, wow. which is actually, which is really is nothing, you know, for, for bringing a trailer Well, auction. for the car. I mean, yeah. Right. But 6,800 6, views, 451 watchers. Oh, wow. That's People want to know what was happening with this, with this friggin' pickup truck. Yeah. And I, I think perfect example of, of the bring a trailer effect. I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that, A, it's great you have the variety on there, but it's just, it's wild to see things that in our heads, you know, as car people, we could just brush off. And then you see something right. like this pop up and people are, are all over something like this. Yeah. So another one that, that caught my eye, uh, this 21 years owned, a 91 Volvo 780 Bertone Turbo. Oh, my. God, I love a turbo brick. Uh-huh. I really oh, love a turbo you brick. And me both. Oh, you and me man. both. Everyone growing up, like everyone in our age, age range probably has a memory of a friend's parent Owning a Volvo, mm-hmm. probably a Volvo station wagon. My dad had one. There you go. Yep. 780, 740, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yep. I remember riding in the back when they had the the, the flip up seats in the trunk and just mm-hmm. watching the road as we as we go by. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. So these the super, oh the back seat that the back seat the back, seat, the yeah, back yeah, yeah, yeah especially I sat in the wagons. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But I just I love those things. Oh and my I god, love you just triggered a memory for me. I was sitting in one after going to a make your own peanut butter field trip, and I was eating peanut butter. Looking at the back of a Volvo 740 wagon. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for that. You yeah. brought back a memory for me. <laughs> okay, so this car, it's owned 21 years, 97,000 miles on it, offered no reserve. And you know what? Sold for 6,100. So not not a huge number, but... I'd buy it. Think about it for a second. A Bertone body. Yeah. On a Volvo. Yeah. On a turbo brick. Uh-huh. And I love it. I'm into it. I love it. Stuff like this, you never, you know, how does one go about finding something like this? Well, there you go. You just need to bring a trailer, Daily Mail, and there it is. I really, was, really cool car. I was saying to Mike off air that I have a cup of coffee, I play Wordle, and I look at the Bring a Trailer Daily email yeah. every single morning. It's my ritual. Oh, yeah. Well, here it is. Here's another one. Oh. Let's talk about wagons for a second. 316i. 316i touring design, five-speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is not a... This is not... It doesn't look totally stock. No, but, you know, it's it's not S, whatever, S54 swapped or any of that right. fancy it's stuff. Just simple, Just yeah. a damn stock. good... 90s wagon. Yeah. I love it. Once again, 18,000 mm-hmm. for this. Yep. I heck, I'd probably pay 18. I for would this. totally. Absolutely. 100%. I love a good wagon. It's something that Is it black or purple? It's black. It's black. It's black. It's really nice wheels. I mean, yeah. Oh god, I love a wagon. Interior. Once again, sweet seats, upholstery is awesome. The design edition pattern cloth. Yeah, love the pattern it. cloth, yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean, just another So this was what? A 1.6 in line 4. Yeah. I this think, is ripe for for a, a juicy swap of some oh, kind. Oh, 100%. And there's been many of those, but the wagon aspect of it, and I, I'm so staunch in this, we need more wagons. We do. Well, 
most people don't like them, hence we'll never get them. But I, I agree, we do need more wagons. They are way more practical, and more folks would use them than SUVs. Yes, if we're honest. Yes, and it's it's a U.S. thing. You know, you go to your you go to Europe, and they're still everywhere. Like I'm, everyone's got a. We were just over, over. We were in London and, and Paris over um, over winter break, mm-hmm. and there's so many Mercedes, BMW, yeah, wagons. Wagons, tons of, uh, I mean, you can see Skodas. Mm-hmm. And Skodas, yeah, yeah. And they're probably, like, half of them are probably diesel, too, which is a whole different yeah, story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, yeah. you walk around Paris, and, of course, every other car is, you know, a Citroën or a Peugeot. And, yeah, yeah. But they're wagons. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's not that, to your point, there's not the desire for wagons in, in the U.S. anymore. But yeah, because they're just practical. They are. They're, they're very fun, practical. And they're cool looking. Love them. All right, and then last on my list. So, looking here, a 64 Genetta G4. Uh-huh. Uh, and so this one... Uh, God, I have such I I love sixties sports racers. Uh-huh. Like love, probably in a in a really weird sort of way. But <laughs> those body designs back then, and I mean we we talked about last time out with, with the XJ thirteen mm-hmm. is to me that was like a that was a pinnacle of, of sports car design. Yeah. Race car design back then, you know, sports prototypes and stuff. And you know, I've seen a few of these genetics here and there, but just cute, cute little car that mm-hmm. Uh, looks great. You know, these are not crazy big V8s like, like Can-Am cars. I mean, this one's right. 1500cc, a Ford, Ford Kent motor, uh, in line four, but just probably an absolute blast to drive. Uh, I mean, look at the, look at the rear here. Look at that detail yeah. with the speed holes on Let's the back. The speed holes. A little rocking some little <laughs> mini lights. You know, these fiberglass bodied sports racers. Just the old roll hoop on there. So cool. I love them. Every time one pops up, you know, this or like a little Lotus or something. Um, That'd be great for the uh, the Lime Rock Historics Day. Yes, exactly. Take it out, do some laps and yeah. stuff, and just, just have a blast. Yeah. So lots of cool stuff every week. Love every it. Week. Those, those are my, my four of the week. And Great. Well, I, I have three for you. Yeah. You Go into my document. I'll if you know, open all three. Um, I, I have two. Two of them are Mustangs, so I will say that. Um, first one is a '93 Ford Mustang SVT Cobra. Probably Ooh. because in high school I, I had a brief obsession with Fox Body Mustangs. Not so much it. anymore, but this was one that I was like, "Oh, that's kind of the coolest one." Kind of from the factory, anyway. Um, to be honest with you, I don't really know a ton about it. Um, I, I feel like I used to when I was in high school. Uh, there was, there was a, a guy who lived across from me. You know, I had these loud parties. So one guy had a Fox body with the louvered uh, like window covers, loud yeah. exhaust. And I was like, I freaking want that car. Um, so I probably should have given this a bit more research, but I didn't. <laughs> but uh, it went for 62.5. Yes. Which for a Fox body is just crazy to me but uh again it is the bring a trailer once, effect. yeah well i was say once again it's the bring a trailer effect and it's you know it's funny in the porsche world there's been a lot of talk um you know especially over the last year or so short hoods aka uh 74 to 89 mm-hmm. era have really gotten crazy crazy out of hand with prices mm-hmm. you know for a while it started with the long hoods you know uh which were the the first body style from six well technically 63 mm-hmm. up through 73 and a half um you know those were really the big money cars for so long and then i think people got priced out of them and, and started yeah. to realize oh my god like the next generation of these cars the short hoods uh are are going through the roof as well mm-hmm. i think part of it too is you know as people have gotten older those are maybe the cars that we remember from our childhood yeah you know and yeah, as yeah, time yeah. goes on so you take a five or ten year span 
and now it's people who grew up with you know 930 turbos on their wall mm-hmm. yeah, like and those cars are starting to go crazy right. but it's not just you know it's not just Porsches the prices have gone crazy for I mean we talk about to your point Fox body Mustangs have yeah. started to go crazy as well right and folks folks, folks who love them back then especially these more rare ones they can now buy them Oh, That's absolutely. Awesome. And talking of Mustangs, uh, this is a uh, hero car from Gran Turismo 3, I think. Yes. A uh, 2000 Ford Mustang Cobra R. Oh, I remember these. Interesting car, them. which with a rear spoiler, which at the time was very controversial because mm-hmm. it reminded the more classic uh, muscle car fans of the Japanese cars at times, which yes. they weren't necessarily a fan of. Uh, side pipes on there, 5.4 liter V8, which is a big step up from the 4.6 in the normal GT. Um, no back seat, Brembo front brakes, a uh, whole decked out suspension. Uh, this one has 18, 1,800 miles, and it went for one hundred and eighteen grand. Yep. One of three hundred made. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, you, you you go back even ten years, you get half of that for it probably. I mean, I can't speak with confidence, but I'm just guessing here. Here's the sad part about a car like this: uh-huh. eighteen hundred miles. That's going into somebody's collection. Oh, yeah. That's it. Never getting driven. Never going to get driven. I mean, if I bought it, it would. But if you have a car right. with that low mileage... And people are paying that kind of money. Right. Especially on those tires, because which are probably factory original. Um, they would not they would not be driven that much. Maybe maybe cars and coffee a couple times. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And my final one here. Interesting car. Oh, yes. 1996 Honda Integra Type R imported from Japan with the appropriate full headlight front end, not the bug eye that we got in this country. Right-hand drive So to speak, right-hand yep. drive. Period correct. It is modified. Uh, tastefully. So tastefully, yes. So I was like, not extensively modified, but modified nonetheless, which may scare off some purists, especially because it may be hard to get. Well, it probably is hard to get stock parts for it in this day and age. Right. Uh, but it went for twenty five grand, which is surprising. I would think that an, an import Type R would have gone for, especially one with no accidents on its record, um, as far as I know. It being from Japan, I couldn't say. For, I can't say for sure. But it looks to be in great shape. I guess it also has a higher kilometerage <laughs> mileage. I'm not sure what the word is. But it's a pretty high high distance driven car, so that might be that might factor into See, it. One hundred twenty six thousand kilometers, about seventy eight thousand yeah. miles. Yeah, so, so not, it's not it's that bad. Not low mileage, and it's a Honda, so if it's if it's been taken care of, it lasts forever. Um, but man, just to have that like more raw. So, so I had a uh, RSX Type S uh, in the two thousands, but to have that more raw sounding B series motor in that thing up to eight thousand RPM has yep. got to be an experience. I wonder with with something like this, mm-hmm. you know, and we're getting to the point now where the twenty five year importation rule yeah. is starting to take effect with a lot of the cars that we remember from the the Gran Turismo era, right? Um, you know, and and you start to import these cars to something like a right hand drive car. Does that have a strong impact on Just market value? Market value, you yeah. know, and it brings to the point something like this, you know, seventy eight thousand mile version. Yep, this is a driver. You yeah, buy this car, and sure. you, you drive the piss out of it, and you yep. have fun, and you rev that VTEC to eight thousand every time. And so it's, it's a law. Once again, that one for twenty five k. If this was a pristine stock, mm-hmm. yeah, ten thousand mile car, yeah, would it have gone for more? And once again, much like the SVT Cobra, would this have just gone and sat in a collection? True, that's a very good point. I think that because you have to assume, like for most cars, even the ones for sale in this country from the get go. If you see modifications, you assume the worst. At least yes. I do. As someone who has modified cars and sold them and not really driven them hard, whoever bought them is probably like, oh, it's modified. So it's been, it's been, the, the clutch is probably halfway burned out or whatever, and the right. tires are crap. And 
you know, the uh, the motor mounts are worn, something like that. Depending on how and where you sell it. You know, if it's something right. like, if it's like an enthusiast forum and it's, you know, a forum classified car to car where you can follow the build, that's one story. Yeah, if it's it just can off be. of, of Craigslist or, or cars.com, right? <laughs> Other than I've heard many, uh, many uh, uh, horror stories of, it, you know, forum cars as remind, well. It reminds me of the Club RSX forum, which was the, of course, the forum for, for Hondas and Acuras oh, yeah. and their RSX. And, um, people would post like, "Hey, I'm selling this car. It's got these mods that have never been raced." Someone will go and find the car on YouTube at the drag strip. Yep. And it's like, "Oh, never raced, huh?" Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can imagine this car again being modified. Even though I like to assume the best of people who would have a car like this, yeah, it's probably got some rough miles on it. But I would still buy it for that price because I feel like if I'm buying it for that kind of price, you know, I have some extra room in the budget to do any work you would need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, some good ones. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we had some healthy, spirited debates. As as is the case, we are rounding that final corner, about to cross the finish line here. Oh, boy. It's been real, and I will come up with a better closing catchphrase next time. No, no I'll just keep changing <laughs> up on every time. So Love it. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.